So today I thought we would start with a quiz. Ooh. We're reversing it though. There should be a day of the year where the students get to give tests and quizzes to their teachers. That would be great because I'm giving you a TikTok trend quiz. Oh, that's the worst kind of that's the worst kind of quiz I could take. Okay. So I say TikTok. This really could apply to Instagram and other social areas. media. Yeah, it's it's about like aesthetics. Okay. All right. <laughs> wow, you look so lost already. I love it. <laughs> I'm going to list four aesthetic trends, and you have to tell me which one of these is fake. Okay. So you're saying only one of these is like bad to do. Three of them are good to do. One of them is not real. I made it up. Yeah. Okay. okay. Oh, all right. Okay. And not that it's like sucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Don't do this one. Maybe it's a new thing. Maybe. Maybe. Okay. Here we go. Cottagecore. Pastel goth. Seashore core. Dark Academia. All right. So two of them I know. All right. Which ones do you know? Dark Academia is a thing. Okay. Describe it. Well, I just know that there's a playlist on Spotify that I like to listen to. And it's like, oh, you're studying in Hogwarts is a subscription or something. (laughs) I'm like, cool. But it sounds good. It's some good classical music. Okay. Okay. The other one I know is Cottagecore. Cottagecore is real. Uh, I don't know what it entails. I just know that it is. It's like, I mean, it is what it sounds like. You live in a cottage, you dry your herbs, you wear lots of peasant blouses. That's about it. How do you decide to live in a cottage as a trend? <laughs> it's like, it's, you don't actually have to live in a cottage, I guess. You style it's, your it's the living. aesthetics okay. of that. All right. <laughs> you okay. live in a All right. Um, then I got seashore and pastel goth. Yep. See, I don't know what you do with seashore core, so I'm going to say that one's out. That one is actually the fake one. Oh. <laughs> Good job. Yeah. Good job. <laughs> so what is a pastel goth? It's, it's it's like you dress alternative and stuff. Like, you know, you got your sneakers and your... It's like you dress goth, but you're wearing pastels. I don't know. Just, it's like a kind of a... So you have like choker, but it's like mauve? Um, It could be mauve. There's a lot of like pastel tie-dye or like iridescent stuff like that kind of color palette like very unicorn color palette i would say okay yeah there it is (laughs) i hope i didn't get all of those horribly wrong and are because we do have a lot of teen listeners and they're like oh my god these millennials what are they doing (laughs) they're actually like no seashore core is real (laughs) it's really cool it could be the next big thing we didn't say it was bad teens get it started yeah I see it as like a spinoff of Cottagecore. Like your cottage is now by the sea. <laughs> oh, so you're like Elliot in Stardew Valley. Yes, very, you... very Elliot energy. Yeah, all right. I can dig it. I would be into that. <laughs> what are we actually here to talk about, though? <laughs> not, not that that wasn't great, but... No, that was... I feel like I've learned a lot already. <laughs> so thank you for teaching me that. Of course. Uh, today we are going to learn about the Almanac Singers. Our goal for this, I kind of want to start this as a series, okay. kind of a leftist music series, and kind of I want in this series to explore the history of leftist music, you know, not just from a historical standpoint, but kind of get to listen to these songs together and, for sure. and check them out, because uh, there's tons of stuff out there. Uh, today we'll be hearing a lot of union hymns, um, but I think there's there's Cuban revolutionary music, Ooh. Uh, anti-war protest songs, you know, civil rights ballads, there's... Um, the Red Army Choir from the Soviet Union, uh, the Dropkick Murphys, mm-hmm. and kind of the Irish punk sort of scene. Uh, Chumbawamba actually put out a, <gasps> a CD of English rebel songs that That's are really great. dope. Uh, 
Okay, not just the soundtrack from FIFA 98. Okay, got <laughs> right. it. Right. <laughs> yeah, so I don't know. I'm excited to add it to our rotation. Mm-hmm. Anytime we do something just absolutely horrible, just we <laughs> dive into the crimes of capitalism, I'll probably be begging for <laughs> a music a one. Music one. <laughs> yeah, I think that sounds very healing, potentially. <laughs> So today we'll be talking about the Almanac Singers. They're a folk ensemble from the early 1940s. Their core members were Millard Lampell, Lee Hayes, Pete Seeger, and Woody Guthrie. Millard, what a name. Yeah, like Millard Fillmore, but, <laughs> but cool. even less well-known. <laughs> They're also joined by a rotating cast of a lot of other people. Uh, Sis Cunningham, Peter Hawes, Butch Hawes, Bess Lomax Hawes, Cisco Houston, Arthur Stern, Josh White, Carol White, Jackie Alper, Burl Ives, Jamie Loden, and Sam Gary. I don't know any of those people except for Burl Ives, and that's because we obsessively watched the Claymation Rudolph growing up, <laughs> and I have the soundtrack. That's one and the same. Back in his youth, he was more of a lefty and <laughs> okay. ended up in these sorts of circles. Interesting. Yeah. he. Um, and he faced some flack for that later in his life, but he got over it. <laughs> So yeah, we'll we'll kind of talk a little bit about each of the central characters, but I don't want it to be like mainly bio. We'll we'll do a little bit of uh, the history of it, but even then, really not that's not the main thing either. Like I said, mostly I want us to kind of talk about some of my favorite songs of theirs and share that. Yeah, uh, and they've got a lot of uh, pro-union, anti-war songs, and eventually some well, pro-war against fascists um, songs. <laughs> And uh, a lot of them, we'll kind of look at those songs' histories because they, like any good folk musician, I guess, uh, improv those off of older songs. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. One thing I wanted to mention is, one, Happy Thanksgiving, if you are celebrating that. Oh, yeah. And (laughs) that's kind of why we wanted to do this episode at this time is because that's such a traditionally patriarch not patriarchal, but I mean, it is, but... (laughs) I was going to say patriotic, but what's the difference? Am I right? Um, but it is a, such an Americana kind of holiday steeped in a lot of myths that I think it'd be helpful to look at Americana from a different perspective. Mm-hmm. And we've talked before about kind of reclaiming left ideals, like in terms of American history, because there's the myth that this is a foreign import, that this is not what America is about. And it's like, we have a long tradition of this. So yeah. I think I just want to open up with that context. Yeah, and it'd be good to be able to, I don't know, harken back, but like have something that you can enjoy that's genuinely, you know, homegrown in that way or whatever that means to you. But that is not, you know, jingoistic, you know, <laughs> not God gross. bless America sort of thing. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So let's jump in. Yes, teach me. The Almanac Singers were formed in 1940. And we said their, their core members, Lee Hayes, Millard Lampell, Pete Seeger, and Woody Guthrie. Woody Guthrie kind of joins in a little bit later than the other three. Uh, there's not a lot of solid info on, you know, they sat down and they did a blood <laughs> pact or something. <laughs> um, but I'll kind of give a brief rundown of these core members and talk about how they end up together. I already have a question. Yeah. <laughs> so from what I know about, like, American strike and labor history they were bumping in the 1930s yeah so they just like didn't have cool music to go with it yet they did and that's where a lot of this uh stems from okay so they're like recording that music yes yeah Mm -hmm. they are uh writing a little bit of it but more it's more like publishing these labor songs that have come out of that okay cool cool that's that makes sense then yeah 
All right. Uh, so the first guy that I want to talk about is Lee Hayes. Who's this guy? So Lee Hayes was born in Little Rock, Arkansas. Uh, and so, so he was a Southerner raised in a religious family. His father was a preacher. And as a young man, he moved to Cleveland. And after some family tragedies and stuff, kind of had to start his life. Ends up getting a job in a public library and starts reading a ton. And this is how he ends up a socialist. Of course. It just happens. <laughs> yeah. He was like, well, I, you know, they had this black stamp and all the, all the banned books. And so I knew I had to read those because <laughs> they got to be good. That's amazing. And from there, he ends up moving back to Arkansas to join up with this radical Presbyterian minister, Claude C. Williams, okay. a Christian Marxist, which is an interesting blend. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, he was doing union organizing and civil rights activism down there. And uh, so Lee Hayes joins up with him. He also ends up helping out Zilphia Horton uh, with her music classes at a place called the Highlander Folk School, which was an adult education and labor organizing school. In Monteagle, Tennessee. Interesting. Yeah. Okay, well, so was this born out of, like, all of the, like, labor action mm-hmm. in Appalachia at that time? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, this was, this was a direct result. They were like, we're trying to do these unionization drives. We want to spur that on. We want to, like, raise and train more union activists to go and spread this and get us all into one big union. Hell yeah. You know? So this place was cool enough to be shut down by the state in 1961. Uh, for be, being accused of being a communist training school. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and m- mainly they were upset because uh, they were training civil rights activists such Ooh. as Rosa Parks, John Lewis, Ralph Abernathy, and Martin Luther King. All the important people. Yeah. Okay. That's so how you know cool you're doing place. something right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> From there, Lee Hayes uh, ends up doing more lefty work, eventually ending up working for Claude Williams, that preacher guy, mm-hmm. again this time as the theater director at Commonwealth College. Commonwealth College was a labor organizing school in Mena, Arkansas. Wow. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah, this was in the 30s. Wow. Uh, Eventually, it folded too. It was the subject of right-wing attacks. The Klan burned down part of the school, and they just had all sorts of problems. Yeah. It's hard to be a (laughs) left-wing school in Arkansas. I'm sure. (laughs) But in the meantime, Hayes, while he's working through, uh, working in the South, doing these unionization drives and everything, is compiling a songbook of union organizing songs uh, based on hymns and spirituals. He called these zipper songs. Zipper? Why is it zipper? Uh, because what you would do is you take that hymn and you would zip radical words into them, into the <laughs> oh, normal okay. hymns. You just move them on right in there. And so... You're there at your union meeting singing your union hymn. But if the gun thugs come to break up your union meeting, you can just whoop, switch over to the hymn words, and it's now just a church meeting. Oh my gosh, that's ingenious. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's funny. We should like the first minute of this podcast, we open with a prayer every time, and then we're like, okay. <laughs> now that the FBI stopped. guys are going. Yeah, you know. we just go into our regular leftist shit. <laughs> that's insane. Okay. Because I was going to ask if this was a case of using religion to, to like, convert people. Was it kind of both? It's both, yeah. Okay. So that's another thing is at the union meetings, a lot of times they would just sing hymns together as just a fun activity. Mm-hmm. They don't have anything to do that's really 
fun besides like music and stuff. Yeah, and yeah. So that was one thing that they all knew. And then you could kind of, where a lot of this comes from is workers themselves like improving on those lines and mm. adding new verses to it, to familiar tunes. Yeah, okay. So he compiles these these songs. He's got this book, basically. It's not a fully finished thing. It's just a collection of works. When he moves to New York, because the school, because Commonwealth College is folding, he's like, I'm going to go to New York. Uh, he takes this book with him. He ends up meeting and moving in with a fellow named Millard Lampell. All right, what's this guy's deal? Millard Lampell, there's a lot less to say about him. Okay. Uh, before his time with the Almanac Singers, there's just not a lot. He was from New Jersey. He'd gone to university in West Virginia. And later on in his life, he ends up becoming a scriptwriter for movies and TV. Uh, he does end up getting blacklisted in the 50s, probably because of his Almanac <laughs> Singers work. But he was a yeah. general lefty overall. But that's about it as far as him. So short story for you. Yeah, that is short. <laughs> uh, Pete Seeger is our next guy. All right, I've heard of this guy. Lots of people, yeah, lots of people know about him. <laughs> and we could do a separate episode about all his stuff one day. He's pretty cool. Uh, he was from Manhattan, the son of an esteemed musicologist and a concert violinist. Mm, musicologist is in like ethnomusicography in, or whatever. In fact, one of the founders of the field. Yeah, Charles uh, yeah, Lewis yeah. Seeger Jr. Which came out of the WPA because they like funded a lot of that research. There you go. Yeah. Seeger lived a really privileged life. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's got rich parents. Um, <laughs> he ends up attending Harvard College eventually. Oh, yeah. Uh, but ends up dropping out because he's too distracted by folk music and political stuff. <laughs> okay. They didn't have a folk music program at Harvard. <laughs> I, I guess not. No. <laughs> folk music-wise, he tours New York State with a a traveling radical puppeteer group. <laughs> Sorry, what? Yeah, a puppet theater group. Okay, what's this called? Called the Vagabond Puppeteers. Wow, okay. And so they were going around in upstate New York. Um, I'm picturing Kermit with like a sickle and hammer. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, you know, I couldn't really find much about this, but they Workers were apparently... The that was a terrible Kermit impression. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even try it. I just, I'm just picturing Too Kermit bad. saying some socialist shit. I can't do a Kermit voice either. Yeah. Mm -mm. But they were talking to like the various farmers groups there and, and not necessarily trying to get them to organize, but like spreading, spreading socialism. Wow. Okay. Then after that, he gets a job in DC helping uh, ethnomusicologist Alan Lomax, who was a friend of his father's, okay. uh, helping him like sift through music, categorize and find examples of music that best kind of showcased American folk music to preserve in the Library of Congress. Cool. Yeah, that was some other government money, too. Like, that was mm -hmm. they were putting that together through the New Deal. Politically, we also said he was, you know, getting distracted with politics, too. <laughs> uh, he was a communist. Hell yeah. Uh, Seeger joined the Young Communist League in 1936. Nice. Uh, and then once uh, he was, you know, a big boy, he joined the <laughs> Communist Party USA. Love it. In 1942. You have like a little graduation ceremony where you like <laughs> go down the street to the other building. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> See you guys later. Yeah. He ends up leaving the party later because he's just, he's, you know, he's a typical communist. He doesn't have any like discipline about party stuff. So he, <laughs> he leaves, you know. Of course. In 1940, he ends up meeting Woody Guthrie okay. at a benefit for migrant workers. And they go on a trip out to California and Texas uh, to visit some of Woody's relatives out there. And when they get back, uh, Seeger ends up moving in with Lampel and Hayes and joining their group, the Almanac Singers. Okay. Where in Texas is Woody from? 
Uh, Woody was actually from Oklahoma, mm, okay. but he had family in Pampa, Texas. I don't, I don't know if that's know. how you Is say that it, west? but it's up northwest, oh, okay. like the Panhandle region. Mm, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Woody Guthrie was the son of a businessman clansman from <laughs> rural Oklahoma. Woody! And he fell far from the tree. Yeah, good. <laughs> uh, his family fell on hard times when he was a youth, and so he grows up working odd jobs, begging for meals, staying at friends' houses a lot of times. Uh, and along the way, he picks up tons of songs, and he learns to play the harmonica. He drops out of high school. He starts busking. And when the Dust Bowl hits, he goes to California. Mm-hmm. He's one of the Okies yeah. that make that uh, migrant journey looking for work. And there he gets involved with kind of some leftist circles and uh, with radio. Mm, okay. He's like doing radio shows and stuff. Uh, he ends up making a song called Do Re Mi, <laughs> which is like telling people, hey, don't come out here. Like <laughs> everyone says it's the dream and the paradise and everything, but they're just tar- they're just doing that so they can have surplus workers. Like mm. unless you're a musician, if you have the Do Re Mi's, you know. <laughs> It, there's pretty much nothing for you. Wow. Okay. He's kind of trying to warn people. You yeah. Know? Like he yeah. was lucky, but. <laughs> wow. He gets involved in these leftist circles too. Like we said, he's he said the fa- the best thing I did in 1936 was to sign up with the Communist Party. Wow. He actually didn't do that though. He was just kind of a fellow traveler. <laughs> he bought a T-shirt. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he was never technically a, a party member. He Whoops. just like agreed with it a lot. Yeah. Um, yeah. He might ideologically sign yeah. up. <laughs> well, he does start writing in the communist paper, the Daily Worker. He has oh, like a column in there. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, yeah, I mean, he was just all but a member. <laughs> he was shitposting. Yeah, but Woody Guthrie is another one. A good communist is like he's not really going to follow the rules. He knew it. <laughs> he just didn't bother to join up in the first place. Yep, yep. And when World War II breaks out, and I mean in Europe, not in the United States. So in mm-hmm. 1939, Woody gets fired for basically, you know, for being pro-Soviet Union and saying, like, what if we don't get in the war and stuff? And wow. they're like, we don't want you on the radio at all. So uh, he gets fired. He ends up moving to New York City. And there he records some songs with Alan Lomax for the Library of Congress, some like folk tunes and stuff like that. Uh, he writes his famous This Land is Your Land song. Oh, yeah. Was that him? Yeah. Like original? That was original hymn. Now, oh. the tune was an original hymn. The tune was like a gospel tune. Okay, yeah, uh, yeah. But the lyrics. the lyrics were. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah. Uh, pretty cool. Then he ends up meeting Pete Seeger. They take their trip. And then afterward, Woody goes to the Pacific Northwest to record some songs for the government about their new Grand Coulee Dam up there. Oh, okay. Um, it was just kind of a, a New Deal promotional sort of thing. Uh, and then he goes back to New York City and joins up with the... Almanac singers. Okay, great. So that's how we get them all together. The right. main, the main four guys. <laughs> uh, a little bit about their history. What's up with their name? I mean, I know the farmers' almanac. Yeah, that's what they're. That's what they're referring. To. <laughs> okay, great. <laughs> <laughs> so if you if you use a farmers' almanac, you might like this song. These songs too. Yeah, the story goes, and this comes from Lee Hayes. He said that back home in Arkansas, where he was from, farmers had just two books in their house. The Bible and the Almanac? They had the Bible and the Almanac. The Bible <laughs> to guide them to the next world and the Almanac to guide them through this one. Oh. So. Now they have a third book. Yeah. So <laughs> there you go. They, they were helping people to figure out what to do in this world. 
them as a band, they were pretty interesting. They kind of lived in a communal situation. They uh, moved between apartments frequently, but each, whenever, wherever they were, was called the Almanac House. Mm-hmm. And uh, they would share in chores and cooking and songwriting, doing everything kind of just together. Yeah, cute. Uh, they were paying rent through rent parties. They were just like, they just host a little hootenanny there and <laughs> pass the hat around that and collect money for rent. Great. <laughs> right? Oh my gosh. It was very chill, very bohemian, I guess, in that sort of sense. Did everyone play like multiple instruments or were, were there kind of like, uh, not assigned, but like main roles? You say Woody did the harmonica, right? Yeah, Woody played harmonica. He could also play guitar. Mm, okay, okay. Uh, Pete Seeger played the banjo like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. Um, he could also play guitar. Yeah. Uh, he could also play wind instruments of various sorts. Damn. I'm not sure about his harmonica skills, <laughs> but he's a multi-instrumentalist kind okay, of okay. guy. Plus that rotating cast of people, you had accordion players, all sorts of things. So, okay, cool. Like I said, they, they have a rotating cast, and they have they, they also have like multiple Almanac singers groups, like crews that could go play on the same nights. Oh. Like sometimes they would be doing multiple Almanac shows around New York City, mm-hmm. and just different members were in each one. Okay, cool. They were very much like anti-egotistical, you know, like... Like anti-hierarchical. Yeah, yeah, and it was just like, we're all the Almanac singers. It doesn't, you know, it's not about Woody, or it's not about you. Like, yeah, I like that. Okay, cool. Another thing about them, they were a lot more chill or informal compared to a lot of groups. Okay. Uh, with their, the, the style back then was to wear formal wear to your performances. Oh, that's right. Yeah, because mm. we're talking 40s. Yeah. Yeah. These guys were wearing street clothes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for some of them, it was kind of an affectation. Like Pete Seeger, this was, <laughs> you, know, he, you know, this is not where he came from. And, and Woody actually would make fun of him a lot for that and be like, <laughs> oh, look at him with his, you know. He had to go buy like down. vintage. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And. Pete was always very, always very good-natured about that, apparently. But uh, that was one thing about them. And they w- they were playing, you know, at all sorts of events. At, like we said, just the rent parties or, or, or union rallies of various mm, sorts. Okay. Uh, at strikes, at union meetings, all these places. In May 1941 is when they published their first record, okay. Songs for John Doe. Ooh, okay. Who's that guy? I mean, just everybody? Yes. Yeah. Just, just the everyman? Well, it was specifically a collection of seven songs that urged non-intervention in World War II. Oh, wow. Really not holding back that first album. Yeah. Uh, at the time, the Soviet Union had a non-aggression pact with Nazi Germany, mm-hmm. and the party line was anti-intervention. Let the imperialist countries fight it out if they want, but, you know, no war but the class war for, for the working people. A month later, in June, uh, June 22nd, 1941, Hitler sort of broke that pact, yep. invading the Soviet Union. Uh, and so most copies of the album uh, were, were, were destroyed by the record company. <laughs> Whoops. Uh, but you can still find this on YouTube. Okay. Uh, their next album was released in July of 1941. It was entitled Talking Union. Ooh, okay. That sounds good. Yeah, it has six pro-labor songs. And then later in 1955, they do kind of a re-release where they add seven more songs to it that were some of them were original recordings of the almanac singers and some were kind of redone by pete seeger and a a choral group that he got together called the song swappers Uh, that one you can find on spotify or on youtube either way cool Uh, next they released a couple non-political albums uh, just some folk songs and and sea shanties Ooh, sea shanties yeah okay those are back (laughs) and then they returned to political themes in 1942 following the attack on Pearl Harbor, December 7th, 1941. 
this album was titled Dear Mr. President uh, and supported the American war effort. Ooh, interesting. Yeah, its title track kind of acknowledges the flip-flop and is like... <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, we still disagree. We're communists, you know, but um, fascism is a big deal and we have to take care of that before we can get to our disagreements, basically. That's exactly how the song goes, really. We just played that. <laughs> Good song. Yeah, yeah, thanks. <laughs> so I wanted to ask, from what it sounds like, because I mentioned earlier that, like, a lot of strike action and labor action was happening in the 30s. And like, do you know anything about the history of hymns and spirituals and later union hymns, like how that transformation happened? Or like, I guess what I'm picturing is if you're doing a strike, a lot of that's just waiting, right? So like, that's probably how singing kind of got started. It was like, we have to have something to do while we're just standing around outside, right? Yeah. And you know, to think you have these even, you know, nowadays you have chants and stuff as you, mm-hmm. as you go around and everything. And that's part of that is to keep people mobilized, keep people's mind off of what they're doing, basically. Yeah, morale. And morale, yeah, to keep everyone kind of their spirits up. Yeah, because something about, like, creating music in a group or even, you know, if you go to a show and everyone's singing the same song, like, you do feel very connected with the crowd. And especially if you're singing a song, like, with a message, like, that's got to be really powerful. Oh, yeah. And these songs are all, that's one great thing about them is... They'll have, you know, a single singer for parts of the song, but Mm -hmm. I think all of these songs at some point at least, and for big chunks of them, and a lot of them have like choral parts to, you know, everyone singing all together. Okay, which is Which is cool. And uh, has that effect, I think. As far as the general history, uh, I did see several examples of from before the Almanac Singers time, from back in the 1880s and stuff Ooh. when all this stuff is going on, when the Knights of Labor and everything yeah. were doing So they were using old hymns and converting them to their use and stuff like that. I mean, it's probably just because everyone knows those. And so you can just be like, yeah, you know that tune? Here's some new words to it. Yeah, there was a guy in the early 1900s named Joe Hill okay. uh, who was in the IWW, Ooh. the International Workers of the World, and he was uh, like a very prolific songwriter for them and was coming up with all these uh, tunes and everything to old hymns a lot of times and just kind of, you know, chopping bits from, you know, this (laughs) melody from here, this melody from there and making great stuff. Because if you think about like music at the time, especially if you're talking about like poor working class people, like you don't have the means of spreading that in any other way. You Mm -hmm. also apparently are going to get kicked out of the radio if you say too much stuff about communism. So like the only way to spread music is to have a very catchy tune or a memorable, you know, like you already know the tune and very catchy lyrics. Yeah. Yeah. Can we hear some of this catchy music? Yeah, let's do that. Uh, The only other thing I was going to say about their history Mm -hmm. is that they do end up... uh, disbanding kind of in late 1942 or early 1943. The fellows at the FBI and army and intelligence for some reason still were kind of suspicious of them. So, Mm. you know, they never got out of the mess as far as the press attacking them and all this stuff. Okay. Yeah. So they just had to to fold. At least they didn't like split up, you know? Yeah. It wasn't like some sort of acrimonious thing. Yeah. That's good. So to find these songs, we're going to be releasing a Spotify playlist. Um, We name all the songs. If in (laughs) doubt, do a Google. You will find them. But anyway, uh, yeah, let's get into those songs. Yeah. All right. So our first song is from the Songs for John Doe album. It's entitled The Strange Death of John Doe. I'll sing you a song and it's not very long. It's about a young man who never did wrong. 
suddenly he died one day The reason why no one could say Side. Oh, side. Okay, neither of those things. <laughs> <laughs> Whoops. That banjo is amazing. Yeah, that's Pete Seeger. Fantastic. Oh my gosh. Um, it reminds me of two things. One, um, I think you you are also a fan of her. Um, I'm a big fan of Connie Converse. Mm, yeah. So she was like big into folk music in like the '60s and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. She like did not take off at all in her time and then like people uncovered her music and it's amazing yeah. so it, it it reminds me a lot of her kind of like very lilting melodies mm-hmm. and like she's just telling you a story yeah and to me i think the banjo finger work just because i'm like a pianist it reminds me of like very technical work um yeah it's very impressive it's super cool and i think seager kind of like adapts the what they call the claw hammer the uh authentic the, the more original mm-hmm. form of that and kind of like adds a little to it to make it this more melodious thing that we're used to instead of more percussive okay uh, from the more appalachian um origins so it is more like the finger picking i mm-hmm. guess okay. yeah but yeah i think one thing about this song for me that's real powerful is how it kind of is abrupt yes you know? yes very uh it's it comes from it's based on the old folk song uh the lazy man or the young man who wouldn't hoe corn <laughs> This one, obviously, the sudden death, you know, it's just like, mm-hmm. it's kind of mysterious at first. Like, well, why'd he die? Whatever. And then the, the, the dark joke at the end is, you know, it's, there's only one clue. <laughs> Who could, you know, how could we know how he died? Mysterious. He's got a bayonet. <laughs> so, like, well, and it, it's set up so perfectly that he tells you the beginning. And then like, by the time he gets there, you've almost forgotten that he's like dead. And you're like, oh, fuck. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> it's good. And it's, uh, to me, it's like this perfect mirror of like, what they're trying to get across. That War is, is brutal. and That is it, pointless. Yeah. And it cuts short the life of this otherwise, you know, healthy kid. And that's how they open. And it cuts short the song, too. Yeah. 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 It's just no finishing lines or anything. Wow. Yeah. I like it. <laughs> uh, the next one, I couldn't find the melody for it. Like, uh, so it might be an original melody, the mm-hmm. next song. A lot of these are borrowed, but I couldn't, I couldn't find the source on what this one might come from. So okay. maybe they wrote it. But I'll let you hear it. Remember when the AAA killed a million hogs a day instead of hogs it's men today? Plow the fourth one under, plow under, plow under, plow under every fourth American boy. They said our 
agricultural system was about to fall. From Washington they sent a call. Wow, the fourth one under. The price of cotton wouldn't rise. They said we've got to fertilize. So now on us they turn their eyes. Wow, the fourth one under. Plow under. Plow under. Plow under every fourth American bar. They said our system wouldn't work until we kill the surplus off. So now they look at us and say, Now the fourth one under. Any ignorant mule does know better than to step on a cotton row. But there ain't no mules in Congress, so now the fourth one under. Now the politicians rant, the boys know better than a cotton plant. But we are here to say you can. Now the fourth one under. Plow under, don't you plow under, don't you plow under every fourth American. Wow. (laughs) As someone who grew up in the indie music era, or, you know, not grew up, but came of age musically in that era, I am a sucker for a happy song with sad lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) This one was, for most of it anyway, Mm kind of finishes with that, like, oh, we can tell them no. Yeah, yeah. I love how they brought up cotton prices. Mm -hmm. Like, they're just like, yeah, this is totally fucking rigged. (laughs) Yeah. They're comparing the the AAA, the Agricultural Adjustment Administration, from the New Deal, Mm -hmm. when agricultural prices were just rock bottom, Mm -hmm. you know, all was farm goods. So one of their solutions was to destroy the surplus, you know, and plow under the bumper crop or even livestock as as well. And it reminds me of like those, the early, you know, the days of the pandemic when we had, they were just destroying crops left and right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, meanwhile, I mean, you still have a food, a large food insecurity problem. And they were comparing that to people in the U.S. government desiring to get involved in World War II and saying like, yo, all they're doing is trying to reduce the surplus population. Oh, my gosh. Are they saying every fourth American boy? Is that just like a statistic? Of... Like a quarter, you know? So yeah. they were saying, like you were getting rid of a lot of your oh, crops okay. and stuff, this will kill a quarter of, okay. you know, this, this is going to reduce our population in that same way. It's going to be bloody and bad. Let's not do it. Wow. It's, I think it's cool in like the anti-war sense. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the historical circumstance of it? Yeah, okay. <laughs> we always run into this issue where it's like, well, it's World War II, like, Nazis are bad. You should probably fight Nazis. Mm-hmm. But I think we also have to be very clear that in both world wars, like there was an imperialist element to it. Like, yeah. It wasn't a pure ideological, like let's go save people war. Like, oh, definitely. There's no, no way to argue that in world war one for sure. And then world war two, even there's anti-imperialist elements of like, Oh, we're going to give self-determination afterwards. But what do they do afterwards? They mm-hmm. say Vietnam, you're going back to the French, mm-hmm. you know, they carve shit up just yeah. like they did with world one. So like it's, there's I mean, a greater evil is Hitler. Yes. Yeah, for sure. And like, that's, you know, yeah, we should fight against fucking fascism and genocide, like for sure. But I, I think to assign all of that war effort to purely <laughs> idealistic goals is mm-hmm. just really naive. Like, yeah. there are people who absolutely benefited from this from a like weapons manufacturing standpoint and all kinds of stuff. That's a great intro to our next song. Ooh, okay. All right, the next song is called Billy Boy. Billy Boy. It uh, stems from a classic, a classic folk song, uh, like an English folk song turned American pioneer folk song passed down, you know, called Billy Boy. So the tune will be familiar to anyone 
familiar with that, but just with different lyrics. Okay. Billy Boy would be a good cat name. Oh. Billy Boy. Will you go to the wall, Billy Boy? Billy Boy. Will you go to the wall, Charming Billy? It's a long ways away. They are dying every day. He's a young boy and cannot leave his mother. Can you use a bayonet, Billy Boy? Billy Boy. Can you use a bayonet? Charming Billy. No, I haven't got the skill to murder and to kill. He's a young boy and cannot leave his mother. Don't you want a silver medal, Billy Boy? Billy Boy. Don't you want a silver medal, Charming Billy? No desire do I feel to defend Republic Steel. He's a young boy and cannot leave his mother. Don't you want to see the world, Billy Boy, Billy Boy? Don't you want to see the world, Charming Billy? No, it wouldn't be much thrill to die for DuPont in Brazil. He's a young boy and cannot leave his mother. Girls would like your uniform, Billy Boy, Billy Boy. Girls would like your uniform, Charlie Billy. They wouldn't get much chance to love me with six feet of earth above me. He's a young boy and cannot leave his mother. The DuPont shout out. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. Oh, okay. So the line about him, like the refrain of him not wanting to leave his mother, is that like they're trying to taunt him kind of thing? Or is it just like... No, so I think the he's a young boy and cannot leave his mother is like defending him. Like, okay, he shouldn't okay. have to go do that. Okay. The first voice is the taunt of the like, first voice hey, is, yeah. come on, what, you know, all your reasons. I don't know. What do you think? I mean, yeah, it just straight up calls out like, here are the people that are benefiting from the this. The warmongers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And trying to set up, and you know, this was the party line at the time, but I think it's a valid critique in any war. You want to go into looking at not just why what are the geopolitical reasons that people tell us that we're fighting this war but mm-hmm. what are the material reasons behind it too yeah and i think going hand in hand in that is dissecting like the patriotic reasons like the the taunter is very much laying out like the traditional patriotic reasons to sign up of mm-hmm. like oh like you'll be you know protecting your country you know girls will like you like all that kind of mythos yeah, of be a soldier a hero. yeah yeah and you know the guy's just like no i don't want to kill people <laughs> yeah that would suck i would die like <laughs> yeah so that's a favorite of mine that's, that's actually good. the billy boy is is fairly well known as like a folk song i didn't know this okay that's the first version i heard of it was this version <laughs> um what's, yeah what's the original about the original at least the version that i uh, heard or I have it in a songbook over there is uh, is this boy that's like getting married to he's gonna get married to this girl but like uh, the 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 first person asks him various questions about what does she look like or mm. these things and he gives answers that like it's clear that he doesn't really like know or like she <laughs> she's she's a completely different person than he thinks he's getting married to is what oh, it comes out okay okay it's like she might be like very old and like mm-hmm. you know <laughs> at least that's that version but the book says this is a texas version uh, that alan lomax picked up okay but there's like all over the place they have different ones so yeah cute <laughs> so yeah that's billy boy the next one's called the ballad of october 16th 
Like Russian October 16th? No, no. Okay. Not, not the October Revolution. Because okay. that, remember, would have been November. Okay, yeah. yes, yes. <laughs> what happened October 16th? Uh, October 16th is the day that the Selective Training and Service Act of 1940 went into effect. Ooh, like the draft? The draft. Okay. The first peacetime okay. draft in American history. Ooh, okay. So let's see what this song's about. <laughs> They're like, it's fine. <laughs> It was on a Saturday night and the moon was shining bright. They passed the conscription bill and the people they did stay for many miles away was the president and his boys on Capitol Hill. Oh, Franklin Roosevelt told the people how he felt. We damn near believe what he said. He said, I hate war, and so does Eleanor. But we won't be safe till everybody's dead. When my poor old mother died, I was sitting by her side. A promising to war I'd never go. But now I'm wearing cocky jeans and eating army beans. And I'm told that J.P. Morgan loves me so. I have wandered over this land, a Roman working man. No clothes to wear and not much food to eat. But now the government puts the bill, gives me clothes and feeds me swill. Gets me shot and puts me underground six feet. Why, nothing can be wrong if it makes our country strong. We gotta get tough to save democracy. And though it may mean war, we must defend Singapore. This don't hurt you half as much as it hurts me. Oh, Franklin Roosevelt told the people... I mean, straight up, just by name, calling out FDR. Uh, and... Well, was there like J.P. Morgan? That was funny. Mm-hmm. What's well, really like kind of dark to me, someone could totally listen to like maybe the last half of that song and be like, yeah, democracy is worth oh. fighting for. You know, uh-huh. like they could take it like unironically. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's like you said, it's clear. It's just like, hey, you guys are sending us off to war to die mm-hmm. for J.P. Morgan. I like the part where he's like, you didn't give a shit about us. You were just letting us starve and die yes. out there. And now when we need to be cannon fodder for you, oh, now you're going to feed us on the way. Yeah. And that <laughs> absolutely mirrors our situation today where we don't care about social services, but like, you know, we care about veterans. We don't actually care about veterans. We no. also don't provide for them either. Yeah. But like, there's a lot of posturing around veterans. Yeah. So. And you can sort of shame people into, you know, it's easier as a politician to go out there and say, come on, but these are veterans. Mm-hmm. They deserve rights because they're humans, you mm-hmm. know, versus just regular humans. Yeah. I mean, they'll, they'll cut both, but whatever. Sure. Yeah. It's not to say they'll follow through, but it's e- an easier case to make. But that's the thing is you see people signing up for the military purely for material reasons of I need a college degree. Yeah. I, I need to live. Hunger game style. It like, is very yeah. hunger games. Yeah. It's wild. The reason that one's so catchy, I find that one super catchy. Uh, that one's based off the old uh, ballad of Jesse James. Mm, like the train robber guy? Yeah. Okay. yeah. You know. I think train robber. Jesse James was a man, that, that song. Okay, a, okay. And that one's been reused several times. Woody Guthrie re- used that to write a song about Jesus Christ. Okay. Uh, and just replacing Jesse James with Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> same syllables. So it's popular, and I didn't realize why I found it so catchy until I realized, oh, those are the same songs. <laughs> 
Well, if only we were Protestant, we would know more of these. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, Jesse James, I don't think they sing those in any Protestant well, churches. But. No, but I mean, like, if a lot of these have hymn backgrounds, I wonder, Protestant listeners, write in. Do you recognize these as hymnals <laughs> today? Because my only experience with hymns is growing up playing the hymn festival on piano. Yeah. And I did not know most of the songs. <laughs> yeah, there are precious few that we sung growing up that translate over into, like, mainline Mm-hmm. And that's the only experience I have, really. But mainline Protestant churches, hymns, yeah. books, and stuff. Well, like Amazing Grace, they ever make that one oh, lefty? Yeah, that, well, lefty, no. No. <laughs> no. I don't think so. That's the last one I wanted to cover in Songs for John Doe. There's a few more, Washington Breakdown, C for Conscription, and Liza Jane. Okay. But Check them out on Spotify. Yeah, they're good. Or but whatever. we have limited time. <laughs> All right, so they weren't always anti-war. All right. When conditions changed, they changed their mind, namely the condition being the Soviet Union being invaded. Mm -hmm. They were good communists, and they were like, whoa, but the only existing communist country is now being invaded by these guys. Let's go defend them. Good call. Yeah, and you know, people criticize, okay, maybe you should have done it earlier. Maybe they should have. Maybe. But hey, they changed their mind eventually. Yeah. I mean, I think we can agree that regardless of all of that which is a lot to say regardless of yeah it's a lot of paper the paper is doing a lot of work papering over that but But we can agree on their their complaints of like like i think that song was really good about saying like all right even if you want to do this the fact that you're only willing to feed me and clothe me when i'm joining the military is fucked up like we should acknowledge how fucked up it is Mm -hmm. that this is the only way of survival yeah and still call out those material interests too because definitely it's not just oh patriotism Mm-hmm. Not like there's like an ethical way to do war or anything, sure. but like that's a pretty bad one. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So the pro-war song that I wanted to talk about, there's there's multiple ones on the, on the album, but the only one I really wanted to touch on was a neat little ditty uh, called "Round and Round Hitler's Grave." <laughs> Sounds like a banger. Yeah, this is a juicy one for anyone who hates Hitler. Which so everybody, probably, hopefully, you, yes, all of you or unsubscribe. <laughs> Yeah, right. What are you doing here? How did you get so lost? All right. Uh, yeah, so here we go. Now I wished I had a bushel, wished I had a peck, wished I had old Hitler with a rope around his neck. Hey, round, round, Hitler's grave, round, round we go. Don't lay that poor boy down, he won't get up no more. I'm going to Berlin to Mr. Hitler's town. I'm going to take my 44 and blow his playhouse down. Hey, round, round, Hitler's grave, round, round we go. How Hitler went to Russia in search of Russian oil, but the only oil he'll find there is a pot in which he'll boil. Hey, round, round, hit the spray, round, round we go. Gonna lay that poor boy down, he won't get us no more. Wow. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Yeah. That is a hoot nanny of a song. Oh my gosh. I'm picturing like arms linked, like trotting around a bonfire mm-hmm. situation. Yeah. <laughs> Just so, so, actually, it comes from an old, you know, dance jig, uh, mm. old Joe Clark. Old Joe Clark. And, uh, Were they trying to kill old Joe no, Clark? No, they're nice to old Joe okay, Clark. Okay, great. And they have a lot of, actually, they have a lot of different verses. They, they kind of fuck around and, and mess with Joe Clark. But it's like any folk song, you can just add whatever you want to. Yeah, it. yeah. But it was not, let's hang Joe Clark. So <laughs> it was a lot okay. nicer to him. But, uh, you know, Hitler sucks. So that's what Yeah, I that's great. <laughs> Love it. Um, that, I mean, that one's just fun. Like, that's fun. You know, it's good to be able to admit if you were wrong. Yeah. So good job, y'all. <laughs> 
And they have, like I said, they have other songs on that, but that's the only one I wanted to, that sounds, to cover there. That was great. Love an accordion solo. Oh, the other songs are The Sinking of the Reuben James, Dear Mr. President. That's the one we mentioned where they're kind of like, sorry. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Beltline Girl, Deliver the Goods, and Side by Side. Isn't Beltline like slang for DC? Mm, no, in this one, it's like a, a beltway. Beltway, beltway that's what it is. Inside okay. the beltway if yeah, you're yeah. diseased. Yeah, uh, if you're fucked up. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, this is like a factory like mm, okay. belt line. All right, next we have the Union songs. Yeah, give me those. So we'll start with a song called Talking Union. Okay. And I want to start with the original composition. So we'll start with, with this one. It's one of the ones that they wrote mm-hmm. uh, themselves. Uh, these original compositions were written while they were involved in supporting uh, labor rallies by the CIO, the Congress of Industrial Organizations. Okay. Uh, they were like a they were a labor union that was more uh, radical or like more industrial. They were focused on organizing entire industries versus like oh just these yeah. guys just okay. That's so maybe syndicalist kind mm-hmm. of yeah and, okay. and a rival to the AFL at the time. Eventually okay. they end up merging to the AFL CIO. That's why I know them. Yeah. Okay. I was like, why do I know this? Back in the day, they were a little more radical before they make them drive out the communists and stuff. God dang it, guys. Yeah. Stop doing that. (laughs) That's where these original compositions are going to come from. So first up, Talking Union. Talk Union to me, baby. Now, if you want higher wages, let me tell you what to do. You got to talk to the workers in the shop with you. You got to build you a union, got to make it strong. But if you all stick together, boys, it won't be long. You get shorter hours, better working conditions. Vacations with pay, take a kid to the seashore. It ain't quite this simple, so I better explain just why you got to ride on the union train. Cause if you wait for the boss to raise your pay, we'll all be awaiting till judgment day. We'll all be buried. Gone to heaven. St. Peter will be the straw boss then. Now you know you're underpaid, but the boss says you ain't. He speeds up the work till you're about to faint. You may be down and out, but you ain't beaten. You can pass out a leaflet and call a meet and talk it over. Speak your mind. Decide to do something about it. You got a union now and you're sitting pretty. Put some of the boys on the steering committee. The boss won't listen when one guy squawks, but he's got to listen when the union talks. He'd better be mighty lonely. Everybody decide to walk out on him. Suppose they're working you so hard it's just outrageous and they're paying you all starvation wages. You go to the boss and the boss would yell, before I raise your pay, I'd see you all in hell. Well, he's puffing a big cigar, feeling mighty slick because he thinks he's got your union licked. Well, he looks out the window and what does he see but a thousand pickets and they all agree he's a bastard. Unfair! Slave driver. Betty beats his wife. Now, boys, you come to the hardest time. The boss will try to bust your picket line. He'll call out the police, the National Guard. They'll tell you it's a crime to have a union card. They'll raid your meeting. They'll hit you on the head. They'll call every one of you a goddamn red unpatriotic. Japanese spies. Sabotaging national defense. 
But out at Ford, here's what they found. And out at Vaulty, here's what they found. And out at Alice Chalmers, here's what they found. And down at Bethlehem, here's what they found. That if you don't let red baiting break you up, and if you don't let stool pigeons break you up, and if you don't let vigilantes break you up, and if you don't let race hatred break you up, you'll win. What I mean, take it easy, but take it. That was great. <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was so straightforward. Yeah. It was like a fucking instruction manual. Mm-hmm. Here's what to do. I loved it. Oh, I love the delivery. So, like, he was just, you know, like, a- actors say things like, you know, throw away the line. Yeah. Like, don't try too hard. And mm-hmm. that is totally what that was. Yeah. That's yeah. that talking blues style. Mm, okay. Um, and that's uh, one of the things that Woody Guthrie was big on. So, you know, they, they put this together communally, but it definitely got that influence. Yeah. Uh, oh, he had so a lot of those uh, from his like depression era songs and stuff. What do you think about the the content? <laughs> <laughs> it's great content. Yeah. yeah, I mean, he talks about you know why you need it. I, I love the line about like if you wait for your boss to give you a raise, we'll be here You'll till be... Judgment Day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So true. And and the line about one man squawking is easy to ignore. Mm-hmm. But like you can't ignore everybody. Oh, yes. Feel that. That's the thing about a union. You know, so many, you're, it, it puts into concrete, like into a concrete reality mm-hmm. that you're not alone. Right? Yes. Because like you are, you know, it's easy to feel like you're suffering alone. Like, oh, I'm the only one who has this has to deal with this shit, even though like you can tell so many of your workers are in the same shitty situation. And you don't know who it's safe to complain to. Mm-hmm. Like I am facing an issue at work right now. And I am at this point where I'm like, I don't know who I should go to. Do I go to my manager with this? Do I like try to like put feelers out to see if anyone else feels the same way? Like, I don't know. And like, yeah. I feel like that's a really common issue. Like if you have a complaint, you don't want to be labeled as like difficult if you like bring it up the chain, but mm-hmm. you, and you also don't want to seem like you're the only one who has that problem. Yeah. Like it's very difficult to know where you stand unless you have fucking solidarity. Yeah. For real. I loved how this was from the 1940s, mm-hmm. but even now, you know, you try to do some of this union stuff. Oh, yeah. You're going to find out these same things. You know, you come to the hardest time, the boss will try to bust your picket line yeah, in they, any way they can. The National Guard, I think, got mm-hmm. a shout out. Yeah. <laughs> shout out to all the all the worst all the members feds. of society. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's a good one. That's one oh, of my very favorites. Very good. Very good. <laughs> that's, that's top three so far. All right. Uh, next up, we have a song called Get Thee Behind Me, Satan. Okay. And it's pretty good. Okay. I wonder who Satan's going to be played by. Boss comes up to me with a $5 bill, says, Get you some whiskey, boy, and drink your fill. Get thee behind me, Satan. Travel on down the line. I am a union man. Gonna leave you. A red-headed woman took me out to dine Says, love me, baby, leave your union behind Get thee behind me, Satan Travel on down the line I am a union man Gonna leave you behind 
Fourth of July, the politicians say, Vote for us and we'll raise your pay. Get me behind me, Satan. Travel on down the line. I am a union man, gonna leave you behind. Oh, then the company union sent out a call. They said, join us in the summer, we'll forget you in the fall. If anyone should ask you your union to sell, just tell him where to go, send him back to hell. Get thee behind me, Satan. That was great. <laughs> <laughs> so it's basically just like all the temptations or people who are going to try to sway you to not be in a proper union. Yeah. I want to talk about a few of them. Yeah. So the first one was alcohol, which I thought was interesting mm-hmm. because not only in, in American labor history, but I think in colonial history too, like indigenous history, alcohol was often provided for very cheaply in order to like deaden people's will to fight back. Yeah. Used as like a weapon in that Mm -hmm. way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like get people basically addicted and dependent on their job as a source for that. Yeah. And I, you know, there's probably also a strand of a a little bit of the, you know, almost Puritan reformer sort of. Yeah, you know, they, they some of the early American socialists at least had those roots. Mm-hmm. There's also, you know, a more, I guess, common turn, Communist Party line yeah, internationally. They were kind of, yeah. The Bolsheviks had to, you know, in Soviet Russia, they had to do a big anti alcoholism campaign. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, which for most of its history just amounted to taxing vodka a lot. Yeah. Um, to to uh, <laughs> reduce people's consumption of it because it was seen as a public health problem mm-hmm. um, and just, you know, sapping from the economy as well, people's productivity, uh, all its social ills in terms of domestic abuse and that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. But I think in the American communist perspective, it was a little blend of that social reformism, a little bit of that, and also a little bit of saying, like you were saying, this deadens people. It's kind of one of those, like, It's like classic, a placebo Yeah, thing. like... Marx talks about religion as the opium of the masses sort of thing. It detracts from your ability to fight the class war. Yeah, yeah. Not to say that uh, we're sitting we're, here drinking. I'm a little bit tipsy. <laughs> so not to say that we are, uh, that we endorse that. It's just that's, I think, the explanation. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I have to push my wine glass away because these songs are really great for drinking too. <laughs> I gotta say. So I understand the line about like politicians saying, vote for me and like, the company union, like those are very obvious bad guys. Yeah. The woman line, did they use women to lure people away from unions? No. Okay. That, that wasn't an organized campaign. <laughs> they were just saying like, oh, but let's say you start dating this broad, you know, and mm. she <laughs> she tries to take you away. Um, that sort of thing. Okay. Okay. That one was weird to me. If like, you meet an anti-union dame, yeah. then maybe don't. Maybe you know. she's not for yeah. you. Okay. <laughs> Ladies, don't be anti-union. Yeah, for real. You become automatically less hot. Well, hey, let's <laughs> talk about the opposite of that with our next song, okay. Union Made. Union Made. This is this is the hot girl. Hot, yes. Hot Union Fall. <laughs> yes. Uh, this one is written by Woody Guthrie, and uh, we'll take a listen and then talk more about it. Great. There once was a union made. She never was afraid. Of goons and ginks and company thinks and the deputy sheriff who made the raid. She went to the union hall when a meeting it was called. 
And when the Legion boys come around, she always stood her ground. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the Union. I'm sticking to the Union. I'm sticking to the Union. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the Union. I'm sticking to the Union. was wise to the tricks of company spies. She couldn't be fooled by company stools. She'd always organize the guys. She'd always get her way when she struck for better pay. She'd show her card to the National Guard, and this is what she'd say. Oh, you can't scare me. I'm sticking to the Union. I'm sticking to the Union till the day I die. You gals who want to be free, just take a tip from me. Get you a man who's a union man and join the ladies' auxiliary. Married life ain't hard when you got a union card. A union man has a happy life when he's got a union wife. Oh, you can't tell me. I'm so it definitely requires some context. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, go marry a dude for his union card. It's in the 30s and the 40s, but they do describe the union maid as already being a part of mm-hmm. the union and organizing the guys and being all in there and, you know. Yeah, yeah. But I guess once you get in marrying age, then, you know. <laughs> yeah. They've had updated versions before with, like, cooler a cooler last verse for mm-hmm. women and stuff. Like, women are dope and do things in the union instead of they're just not the auxiliary but that was the original version (laughs) yeah yeah i mean well that's an important role though like we saw in harlan county like the wives were a huge part of that and they did not work for the company Mm -hmm. but they were a huge part of organizing they were like hey i need you to show up at this time they're calling people out and they were organizing in terms of like childcare and food and like all this stuff. So like, I I think it's important to not devalue that. Yeah. It's a big deal. Um, the reason this was written, uh, was after Woody Guthrie saw some badass women, uh, standing up to, uh, company thugs at a union rally in Oklahoma city Mm. in 1940. The, the the gun thugs showed up and they were kind of like, whoa, this is more of a family affair than we, we thought we were just going to come in here and rough up the guys. You know? Yeah. And the women were kind of like, get the fuck out, you know. and Like, this will look a little bad if we kill all these ladies. <laughs> yeah. But, the, you know, and the women were just, you know, kind of like in Harlan County. They were like up in their face and, oh, you know, yeah. tell them, and get, get out of here, you. Oh, man. Uh, so... So yeah, that one, its tune is actually taken from a popular song from 1907 called Red Wing mm-hmm. uh, by Carrie Mills, which is itself based off of Robert Schumann's Ooh. Uh, The Happy Farmer Returning from Work. I love Schumann, but I don't know that one. <laughs> I gotta look it up. It's got, that's like where the main melody part comes okay, from, I okay. guess. I wish they had a lady singing that. I think that'd be cool. Yeah, that would be. That would be pretty Did neat. they have a lot of, like, I? some of the names in there were lady names, I think. Uh, yeah, no, they have uh, women sing on some of these. We'll get to one that that she's the lead in. And you can hear you know, they, they have women voices in the choir. Yeah, uh, yeah. But... I assume Sis. S- yeah, Sis Cunningham, Bess Lomax, uh, Carol White, who was Josh White's uh, wife and was... Initially just described, oh, she was just his wife, but she was like a actual <laughs> member of this. I was looking into it. Yeah, she was, yeah. She was involved. Um, so that's not to be discounted. What about black members? Josh White and, Car- and Carol White were black. Okay, cool. Uh, members, yeah. So it was, that's another very controversial thing to do mm-hmm. in the 40s is have an integrated cast. Yeah, yeah. And to travel around. Yeah, that would be dangerous at the time. Yeah. And they were, you know, to be 
They're in the mm, north. Yeah, to be honest, they were in kind of the New York City area. Mm -hmm. They really were not widespread, but still. Yeah. It's interesting. I don't know. The sounds of it is so southern. Mm -hmm. And then they performed in New York. Like, what? Why? <laughs> well, your core members, right? You got two New Yorkers, mm -hmm. but you have Woody Guthrie from Oklahoma and yeah. Lee Hayes. And those two guys are like really doing a lot of the, uh, they, the sound. They've, they've got a lot of the sound and they've got a lot of the uh, the backlog. They have songs that they've heard a lot of. So, mm. And Pete Seeger was obsessed with ethnomusicology. So yeah, yeah. yeah. So they had, they just had a lot of Americana influences that was far beyond what they themselves individually had experienced. Okay, that's interesting. Uh, our next song is a classic that everybody knows. Mm. Solidarity Forever. I love this one. <laughs> so let's take a listen to... This is not their creation. You know, mm -hmm. uh, this, this comes from well before them. But let's take a listen to their version of it. shall run there can be no power greater anywhere beneath the sun yet what force on earth is weaker than the feeble strength of one but the union makes us strong it is we who plowed the prairies built the cities where they trade dug the mines and built the workshops endless miles of railroad laid now we stand outcast and starving mid the wonders we have made but the union makes us strong solidarity forever solidarity forever solidarity forever for the union makes us strong they have taken untold millions that they never toil to earn but without our brain and muscle not a single wheel can turn we can break their haughty power gain our freedom when we learn that the union makes us strong in our hands is placed a power greater than their hoarded gold greater than the might of atoms magnified a thousandfold we can bring to birth a new world from the ashes of the old for the union makes us strong that's a fucking fire jam yes <laughs> i want to ask questions about the history of this yeah okay so most listeners at least probably in the states probably maybe in england too because i want to say this has british roots the battle of the republic isn't that which one came first um so the origins i guess of that the song solidarity forever originally written in 1915 by ralph chaplin who was a wobbly labor organizer at the iww yes yes that borrowed the well-known melody of the Battle Hymn of the Republic, mm -hmm. right? Which itself borrowed that melody from a pro-abolitionist song, Oh, John Brown's Body. You ever okay. heard John Brown's Body? Oh my God, that's really telling that we changed John Brown to patriotism. John Brown's Body was the one that the Union soldiers were originally singing. That's <gasps> the one that caught on. And then uh, Julia Ward Howe is the one that 
makes Battle Hymn of the Republic out of that. But the, okay. the, original, the original version was John Brown's Body. You ever heard that one? No, what is that? Let's play a little bit for the listeners. John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave. John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave. John Brown's body lies a moldering in the grave, but his soul goes marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. But his soul goes marching on. He captured Harper's Ferry with his 19 men so true. He frightened old Virginia till she trembled through and through. They hanged him for a traitor, they themselves the traitor crew. His soul goes marching on. Glory, glory, hallelujah. Okay, so for our non-American listeners or people who don't know the story of John Brown, give us a quick summary. Uh, John Brown led a raid on Harper's Ferry, Virginia, raiding the federal arsenal there. Holy shit. uh, In a plan to get a bunch of guns distribute it to and liberate and distribute those guns to the local slave population and lead a slave uprising, leading the liberated slaves from there throughout the rest of the South, freeing the rest of the slaves, arming them. Holy shit. And directly abolishing slavery through a massive slave revolt. And John Brown was also like a former slave or? No, John Brown was a white man. Oh, okay. Uh, He was, he was, um, he was kind of a crazy guy. He believed he was (laughs) on a mission from God uh, and he... Like, had previous, he just had a wild life. Um, okay. We can do a whole episode on him, because he's interesting. Yeah. But, uh, I mean, he he leads this raid on Harper's Ferry, and it just falls apart. They don't get the word out to the local slave population, so no one comes mm. to join them. They end up surrounded by the Marines, uh, led by uh, Robert E. Lee. Oh, gosh. Was, okay. Know, some of, I think, two of John Brown's sons are killed uh, in that, and he gets captured and then executed for treason. Oof. Um, because, I mean, they had killed American soldiers in this whole attack. Where is uh, Harper's Ferry? Uh, in Virginia. Virginia, okay. Mm-hmm. That's right, you did say Virginia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there was a big deal in yeah. the lead-up to the Civil War, because in the Northern abolitionist press, they were praising him as a hero. Mm-hmm. And in well, the Northern mainstream press, the mainstream Republicans were distancing themselves oh, from this. This uh, is too radical. Yeah, yeah. and the... South obviously was completely incensed that this was happening. Why don't happening. you follow due process? Just vote. Yeah. Well, they were saying, like, this is what the entirety of the Republican project and the uh-huh. radical abolitionists want to do. Yeah. You know? So, yeah, it was a big deal. And he was, I, I argued, dope as fuck. Because, Sounds super dope. Oh <laughs> yeah. Oh, my gosh. And so he died. And he was this kind of later seen as a martyr. And as the Civil War progresses and you have slavery, de- destroying slavery, becoming more of an active, like almost kind of crusade-like goal of the Union Army. This is where this starts, is at the grassroots level, people are singing this in the Union Army, especially the more religious, uh, in particular, like kind of the Scots-Irish, Presbyterian-ish sort Mm, of roots of of some of those guys. Um, Because he had entire, like, Irish regiments and stuff. Like, he had, it was a weird time. (laughs) But... uh, they were just doing this. And then that's when they kind of co-opted that song into the battle hymn of the Republic and make it like the official, which is still like a war song and still like, let's trample out, you know, this evil of, of slavery or whatever, Did but they it's say not that as, in the song? I don't know the words well enough. Not so much. It's, <laughs> it's, it's 
not as direct and it certainly doesn't have any praise freedom. To, yeah and it definitely doesn't have any praise for someone who killed uh, american soldiers yeah yeah that's so telling that we changed that yeah it's deeper roots though go to a uh, a camp revival song so think mm-hmm. like like the second great awakening and okay, like okay. we had like the big tent and the preachers come and yeah everybody comes to the festival right uh they had a song called say brothers will you meet us Say, brothers, will you meet us? Say, brothers, will you meet us? Say, brothers, will you meet us on Canaan's happy shore? Glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory. So it went from strictly religious to song about a slave revolt Mm -hmm. to strictly patriotic to song about unions yeah (laughs) that's great yeah oh i love that and all along it's just it's really catchy you know oh yeah (laughs) it's so recognizable we remember it some of the you know patriotic songs you kind of forget how to sing that you learn Mm -hmm. in school and all that bullshit oh yeah yeah a lot of it you forget because it sucks it's like amber waves uh yeah there's there's some waves i don't know purple mountains (laughs) i don't know yeah but this one's good. This is catchy. And, and people... It makes you want to swing your arm, you know, like yes. a, a Stein holding motion. <laughs> yeah, and you could picture, you know, troops marching to that, mm-hmm. and very, very rhythmic. So yeah, that's that's its its origins. Solidary forever. It's just a complete banger for the left. I it mean, really is. Of whatever stripe you are, <laughs> it's a banger. Yeah, <laughs> love it. Five stars. What's next? Next up, we have another classic called we shall not be moved i know that one that's like an old like spiritual right it uh yeah it does have it's taken from a black spiritual i shall not be moved okay yeah this is just the like more communal one that's used in labor organizing and also uh later in the civil rights movement yes that's where i would know it from Yeah, yeah yeah let's play a little bit for the listeners also a banger (laughs) it's got that like kind of yelling quality Mm -hmm. (laughs) of just like you just want to sing this in a crowd hell yeah like the recording itself sounds like they're just like fucking outside at a rally you want to take to the streets and like have all of your friends there and just be belting this out oh yeah yeah explicitly calling out like racial solidarity that's huge for that time period yeah that's awesome. It's a very versatile song. So, mm-hmm. I mean, because the, the 
most of the song is built. You have one line that you repeat twice, mm-hmm. and that's the only line you sub out. So you can do this, and they've done this before, right? So they, it was based off of that uh, black spiritual, I shall not be moved, uh, which dates back to the early 19th century. Okay. They've used it for union activities. You know, the union is behind us is the opening one that they have. They've u- Then later in the 1950s, they start using that for the civil rights movement and saying, you know, uh, we're black and white together would be one or, you know, united we are stronger or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. it's whatever you can come up with on the fly. And that's what's great about it yeah. is you lead that and, you know, then people chime in the second time you say it. And then you go back into this the, the same chorus. It's just unifying and galvanizing and just, bah. Yeah, that's what you want in that setting is a very like call and response kind of thing yes yeah that one's super cool it comes like i said from that old spiritual there's one like change and i've heard it kind of both ways of uh in in the the union version of it it's like a tree standing by the water and i think in the spiritual it's like like a tree planted by the water because mm. that better fits with the bible verse that it's based on but oh, okay, gotcha. other than that it's pretty much the same thing That's so it would have been super familiar for people you know mm-hmm, mm-hmm. next up is a favorite of mine because i discovered it a little more recently than the other ones so anyway it's called miner's lifeguard Keep your hand upon the dollar 
All right, I have questions. Yeah. <laughs> Who was doing vocals on that? She was great. That would have been Mary Travers, who was part of that the song swappers group that yeah. Pete put together in 1955 to do the reissue. That's mm. a, a more recent, uh, kind of like going back and you know redoing one of their older songs that they didn't have a recording for. Mary Travers of Peter, Paul, and Mary fame. Okay, I was like, why do I know this name? Yeah. Wow, cool. Yeah. Okay, I might have to listen to them a little more. They actually do have some good stuff. Okay. From a leftist perspective, even. Yes, yes. (laughs) (laughs) Not just like, we hate them or something. No. (laughs) (laughs) They're pretty good. So the chorus, keep a hand on your dollar, on the dollar, Mm -hmm. and an eye on the scale. So the scale, I figured, was like, if you're a miner, they weigh what you what you bring up yeah and they could rig that potentially oh yeah there's lots of ways they could rig that they could like kind of dump it on there slant it and it falls through the holes they could make those holes bigger so the coal would fall through (laughs) like and like that wouldn't be counted for you so they wouldn't pay you for that Mm -hmm. they could you know uh just rig lighten up the scale so they could do a bunch of stuff and they would do a bunch of stuff okay and then hand on the dollar is that just like Pay is important? Yeah, like watch your pay. They're going to try to dock okay. you every, you know, uh, one of the lines is uh, you've been docked and docked again, you know. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, they're going to try to take your money however they can. Mm-hmm. One uh, earlier version of that uh, had uh, wages instead of dollar. But okay. the almanac singer sang it as dollar, so. Yeah. Either way. <laughs> All right, that's a good one. Yeah, that one. Uh, the melody is taken from an old hymn, Life's Railway to Heaven, which is pretty <laughs> good. Well, I like too that they kind of allude to, or they they kind of keep some of that, some of that hymn mm-hmm. part of it. There is a line, um, the verse that says, "God provides for every nation when in union they combine." Yeah, yeah. And I was like, kind of hearkening to that. It's very hymny. Yeah, it's like using that to a people, and this is important the context because, like, yeah. maybe this doesn't float now. Don't do this, you know. But at the time, you have you know so many people who are very familiar with that as their background, mm-hmm. and it's like, you know, this is a good appeal that, like, hey, what we're doing isn't this like godless thing necessarily. Yeah. It can fit with what you're doing, you know. Yeah, and I, you know, you could absolutely update that for today's audience by making it more like vaguely spiritual of like. The universe will provide. Right, or like you know? the human spirit or the soul or yeah. whatever that is to you, you know, like, yeah. You could totally do that. So that's Miner's Lifeguard. I like it. <laughs> All right, next up we have Hold the Fort. pretty hardcore 
Yeah, that one's badly, right? <laughs> yeah, that one's like the fucking gun thugs are after us and we're not moving. I yeah, love it. Yeah, we got to go. Uh, so this one, the reason that it's badly, uh, it originates from a hymn uh, written by composer Philip Bliss in 1870. So shortly after the Civil War. Mm. And it's got this martial imagery. The uh, old school, the, the hymn, its opening line was, Hold the fort for I am coming, Jesus signal still. Wave the answer back to heaven by thy grace we will. Mm-hmm. The Knights of Labor in the 1880s took that uh, and made an old school union hymn uh, mm. and said, Storm the fort, ye knights of labor, battle for your cause. Equal rights for every neighbor, down with tyrant laws. Holy shit, that's good. Yeah, right? <laughs> wow, I want that on a shirt so badly. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is like the later IWW version that mm-hmm. the Almanac singers are singing. Wow. Um, kind of adopted, you know, no more yees here, but more <laughs> modern. Yeah. <laughs> All right, next up. I don't want your millions, mister. Ooh, okay. I don't want your millions, mister. I don't want your diamond ring. All I want is the right to live, mister. Give me back my job again. Now I don't want... I don't want your pleasure, yeah. All I want's just food for my baby. Give to me my old job back. We work to build this country, mister. While you enjoyed a life of ease You've stolen all that we built, mister Now our children start and freeze Think me dumb if you wish, mister Call me green or blue or red This one thing I sure know, mister My hungry babies must be fed Take the two old parties, mister No difference in them I can see But with a farmer labor party We could set the people free So I don't want Also a good one. (laughs) Good review. (laughs) Sorry, all my reviews are just like, "Uh uh-huh, thumbs up. Yeah. (laughs) I like in both this one and in the last one, someone said comrade in the last one, and this one's like referencing red that happened earlier too. So I like how they're like kind of not afraid to play with that language. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's a little bit of a different time. It was, you know, he did kind of have, I mean, Seeger was an open communist, mm-hmm. you know, like you could do that a little more. But yeah, you're right. It's, it's brave. Yeah. For our, you know, <laughs> for our... Um, Dystopic times. Sh- yeah, shriveled time that we were just <laughs> shadows of that. Don't worry about it. Um, <laughs> I like how 
clear it makes it. So mm-hmm. it is a stark, it calls out the wealthy for their excess. Yeah. Right. It's uh, the Rolls Royce. Yeah. The diamond rings. And, and, and how unfair that is. We work to build this country, Mr. Yeah. While you enjoy a life of ease. You know, you've stolen all that we've built and now our children starve and freeze. See, I liked that angle a lot better, I think, than maybe the chorus, where it's just like asking for jobs, which yep. we've talked about. It's like, maybe that's not like the highest goal. <laughs> yeah. Well, so the context there, uh-huh. uh, it, this wasn't written by the Almanac Singers. This is one of their you know, amplifying ones. Um, it was written by Jim Garland to the tune of an old mountain folk song from the 1860s called East Virginia. Um, and he wrote the song after the Bloody Harlan conflict, the strike war that was going on there uh, in Harlan County, Kentucky in the early 1930s. So he was out of work and what, you know, this is, and a lot of the miners there were out of work and this is what they were singing about. So in the context, like they really did want a job, you know what I mean? Like they were like, we want to like exist again Mm -hmm. and not be dying. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. But you're right. The larger, you know, that's obviously not our only request. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I just, I think it's really telling, like I hung out with friends recently and like so many of us were echoing each other. Like, I don't, I don't dream of labor is yes. a, a sentence that was said, not by me in a group Ooh, of young people. Nice. <laughs> it's just like, mm, yes. <laughs> and it, it's just, we're all done with it. We're all just like, no, yeah. <laughs> it's not enough. It's not the only thing and it's mm-hmm. not enough. Now, yeah. And, and, and people should have like people should be paid you know mm-hmm. they're worth and more when they labor and everything like we're, yeah. we're saying of course you know people should should be paid fairly and 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 should be paid you know just beyond that i want to say but yeah that, that's just not i guess what we're saying is that's not the end point of our demands like, i think there's a higher human call you know yeah. like we should be free to explore things that are interesting and just fun and nice <laughs> yeah exist as humans i just don't want us to i don't think we're doing but just you know sometimes communists can get a little bit in our heads and, and academic and be like oh you know who cares about fighting for wages and stuff because like we need to move beyond, which we eventually do, we but do. like we need to feed people. In, in, yes, in between, yes, yes. Do you both. Know. Yeah, <laughs> do both. <laughs> it was that same bloody Harlan that spawned a very well-known union song that we've had on the show before. Mm. Which side are you on? <gasps> Love that one. So we can give the listeners a little taste of that. Hell yeah. From all of you good workers, good news to you I'll tell. Of how the good old union has come in here to dwell. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? My daddy was a miner and I'm a miner's son. And I'll stick with the union till every battle's won. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? They say in Harlan County there are no neutrals there. You'll either be a union man or a thug for J.H. Blair. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Oh, workers, can you stand it? Oh, tell me how you can. 
Will you be a lousy scab or will you be a man? Which side are you on? Which side are you on? Don't scab for the bosses, don't listen to their lies. Us poor folks haven't got a chance unless we organize. Which side are you on? Which side are you on? That's a good one, man. <laughs> I mean, it's very clear. Sets up the class antagonism. Mm-hmm. Sets up the stakes. The origins of that one. We mentioned that in the origin in the in Harlan, Harlan County way, or, or no? I don't think we did. Okay. The origins of that are. Uh, it was written by Florence Reese. After the sheriff there, J.H. Blair, he's mentioned in the song, mm-hmm. uh, sent gun thugs to raid her home. It's her and her kids there, but her husband's not. That's who she, they're after. Her husband's not even there. And they're kind of like terrified because these guys, you know, wielding shotguns are pointing them at her kids and stuff. Holy shit. Um, it's set to an old folk song with several names, one of which is Lily Monroe. I think, though, it's it's like you said, it's it's good at giving that stark you know, importance of taking sides, you know, um, even if you're not in the minds yourself, you're not a, you know, what we think of as a classic, you know, proletarian worker yourself, you have to pick a side. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I don't know. I keep thinking because I'm doing research for the next episode. (laughs) So I I think it's a balancing act of acknowledging people's like privileges and, and benefits from certain systems while Still acknowledging that at the end of the day, you do have to make a choice. Like, you can be from a rich background, like, what's his name? Which one of these? Pete Seeger? Pete Seeger, yeah. Yeah. But you have to make that choice Mm -hmm. to step away from it and say, no, this this is wrong. Yeah. You know? And I mean, that's the same with how many people have we talked about now? You know, with Lennon, he had to do that. Trotsky. William Morris. Spoiler for next episode. Yeah. So there you go. (laughs) It's um, class traders. We love to see him. Love it. All right, next up we have a song called Union Train. Okay. That sounds like a fun train. It's a good train. Oh, what is it I see yonder coming, coming, coming. Oh, what is that I see yonder coming, coming, coming. What is that I see yonder coming, coming, coming. Train coming, coming, coming. It's at That 
that one is super catchy. I love the like, it's a very train motion song. Like you can totally see that train chugging. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that one it is taken from the Southern Tenants Farmers Union, mm. uh, where they were trying to organize sharecroppers in the Mississippi Delta. Oh, okay. Uh, cotton country in the 1930s. Yeah. Uh, the story goes that members would sing hymns from their childhood at the meetings. Uh, and one day a woman added a verse uh, to a black spiritual called Tis the Old Ship of Zion. I mean, like, clearly all these hymns owe a huge debt to black spirituals. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's so much a part of the American musical fabric. Oh, completely. Like, like all music. Like yeah. Blues, rock, rap, like everything. That's Jazz. one of the... Hanson and Vorak, when he, when he comes over and does the New World Symphony, uh, one of the big quotes of his is like, hey, like the black music here is like America's true product. I mean, it's, it's yeah. real, like it's real roots and everything. Wow. And it's true. I mean, like that's, it just is. Yeah, completely. <laughs> that one's dope. I like that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the last one we'll talk about is called Roll the Union On. Okay. All right. Super catchy. Also taken from the Southern Tenant Farmers Union. Sharecroppers, is that mostly like black people? Yes. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. Large part of the enslaved population later end up in, trapped into sharecropping. Okay. By Jim Crow and everything. We're gonna roll, we're gonna roll, we're gonna roll the union on. We're gonna roll, we're gonna roll, we're gonna roll the union on. If the boss gets in the way, we're gonna Super aggro. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, I want them to start naming names. Like, who, who specifically? Like, is it the sheriff? Like, who are we going to roll over? <laughs> Hell yeah. This it's... is great. You can insert any name you want. I'm not going to mention them so I don't get in trouble. But just just picture. Just imagine. You know, a really powerful, really rich person. Just put their name in there. Of your choice, yeah. Any dealer's <laughs> choice. Yeah, it's super cool. So it was... Uh, this version maybe was written in 1935. It's got kind of disputed authorship uh, by John Hancocks, a black union organizer and preacher. Uh, it was adapted from a black spiritual called Roll the Old Chariot Along. Well, I, I think it's interesting that both last episode and this episode, we're talking about how religion can be used in 
subverted in different ways. And I think the abolitionist movement is absolutely a, a clear use of that because yeah. you originally had people justifying slavery and racism with religion mm-hmm. and you had people co-opting that and saying, no, like using abolitionist ideas in like a Christian framework. Yeah. Uh, you had, I mean, you had entire splits of, of denominations, the Southern Baptist Convention. Mm. So the reason we have that is because of the Civil War. Um, the Southern Baptists were the ones who were <laughs> oh, using, guess. yeah, were using biblical defenses of slavery as a positive good, mm-hmm. which is bizarre. Like to just to just to say it's not bizarre to say because I've like learned about it. There's multiple but it's a chapters strange phrase. Yeah. about like a guy freeing people from slavery. Like that's rough. <laughs> yeah, and, and so so yeah, it's it's got this intense religious, I guess, background on both sides, that abolition Mm -hmm. um, argument. And I I think that you do see the same thing in the class war. Mm -hmm. You do see a social gospel of, like, let's let's provide for the poor, you know, in in these very kind of, you know, terms that seem familiar to people who've read, like, the gospel, where Jesus is, like, talking about providing for the poor. And then you have the other side that's saying the gospel of wealth, that's saying, like, you know, God's will is shown, um, you know, his elect are, you can see them because they're the guys with the fancy stuff. Exactly, like that predestination kind of mindset. Yeah. And it's it's very fashy of, like, everyone has their place. It's already been decided. Just your job is to stick in your little place. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Which is pretty bad. Yeah, and there's just there's so much more we can go down on oh, that Oh, yeah, that's, that that's another episode for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, roll the union on. Okay. If, um, if billionaire of choice gets in the way, <laughs> roll right over it. Whoever you want. Not naming <laughs> names. <laughs> no names here. But you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right. And that's our final song to wow. wrap up. There's more in the union oh, yeah. category, too. There's uh, You've got to go down and join the union. Uh, I do. <laughs> based on, like, you got to walk that lonesome valley. I think it's also a hymn thing. Um, and Casey Jones, the union scab, which basically just says, if you're a scab, you're going to hell. Wow. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> that's great. The angels, in that song, the angels have a union and they throw this Casey Jones guy who's a scab. Casey. They throw him down to hell. And then he just has to, you know, he has to toil away there because he was a scab. Don't so, be a Casey Jones. Be yeah. a hot union maid. There you go. That's the lesson. <laughs> it's really telling how intertwined all of these songs are with American history as a whole. Yeah. Like everything from black spirituals to the Civil War to traditional hymns like it's just this is in our fabric yes of of the country and i think that's really interesting and it makes sense again like from a logistical standpoint of like yeah we need people to like recognize these songs so they can hum it and sing it Uh at their meetings or whatever but i think it's really i don't know i think it's really special (laughs) yeah it's not just being used for that it's also a reflection of reality one of the powerful things about Howard Zinn's People's History of the United States is that it is all a true like representation of what really was going on throughout history. It's not concocted, made up, or anything like that. But it is so different from the traditional, from above, top-down political class history that you get. It's recognizable. 
yeah. in terms of like, okay, while this was going on, this was also going on. Yeah, and I think that's, you know, what we're seeing here is, you know, because you're, you know, if you're listening to this on Thursday, then, you know, you're getting the American pageantry of <laughs> oh, Thanksgiving God. and everything, Ugh. which, you know, gives you this official sort of veneer and, you know, while you're, you know, that's kind of the top-down political class sort of thing, at that same time, at, with with as genuine or more genuine roots than that, are these sorts of uh, labor songs, these sorts of spirituals that were, uh, by the way, like arguing against like what was constitutionally protected at the time, which was slavery, like which mm-hmm. was from the nation's birth, like we were built on that. Absolutely. That whole tradition. A genocide. Yeah. That that whole tradition, that whole you know, uniquely American genre that stems, you know, that is is the fertile soil from which all this springs. Definitely. It's it's a reckoning with that past. It's it's an acknowledgement of that past, which so many people just still refuse to do mm-hmm. and and still cling to that sanitized version. Yeah. And get upset whenever you're like, hey, but this thing also happened, you know, <laughs> and it's like, no. We don't want our kids to feel bad, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Too late. You made a lot of people feel bad when you killed them. <laughs> <laughs> so I think that's interesting for sure. Another thing is the adaptability of all this. Mm-hmm. So we saw several examples of like older union hymns that had been modified to the modern times of the 30s and 40s and yeah. even in the, the re-release 50s. in the 50s. Yeah. That's... um. I think an example that we can take forward, like we don't have to be stuck in olden times and harken back to old tropes or anything. I don't or, have to learn to play the banjo. No, Good, yeah, because I would suck at that. Oh my we gosh, we could do some some sick beats, some <laughs> sick labor beats. Get I don't some know. synths out here. Yeah, <laughs> send us your great modern labor tunes. <laughs> it can be done, and not just for labor organizing in the strictly traditional sense like organizing people and this is not just like completely idealistic like uh from whole cloth sort of thing so Mm -hmm. uh in the 30s you had the unemployed councils in new york city they were organizing people without jobs yeah like to demand better conditions for them we could do things like that for unemployed people for just young people in general uh for just different classes of people that aren't necessarily you know traditionally in yeah, like you could you, do that for like an immigrant group or something. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah, so it's all about adapting, and I think you know that's 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 not too unorthodox. Like, what is Marxism Leninism, but taking Marxism and adapting it to the conditions of Russia and saying we're going to do this now because it has to work here. You Same know? thing with Maoism. Yeah, yeah. I guess uh, just saying something kind of inane, but we got to change like with with the times. <laughs> yeah, with the times, guys. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, the Trillbillies had that guy, Cola Boy, on. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Did you listen to that episode? It was really good. I did, yeah. His music is great if you haven't checked it out. I didn't. Yeah, I haven't checked it out it's yet. so but. groovy. <laughs> and it is, to me, it gets past some of the labels of, like, you know, Marxist-Leninism and, like, all these, like, kind of theory stuff and just gets to, like, do good in your neighborhood kind of thing. Like, that. that's the name of the album is is, is Don't Forget Your Neighborhood. And it's just, like to me nails down that idea of like do good work where you can where you live you know question then do you think we should be kind of toning down our i don't know labels or like notions of like 
theory. Following in Marxism, or mm-hmm. yeah, or theory, or, or, is, or is there still a place for that? And they're still like popularizers, kind of like with science or whatever, right? You have like real hardcore physicists and stuff, but then you also have like Neil deGrasse Tyson and people who are like science popularizers, like Carl Sagan mm. was and stuff, like bring it to the people. That's interesting what that direction I was going in, like kind of the queer space direction of mm. like, there's obviously a plethora of labels in that space and people get overwhelmed by that if you just aren't in that space. Mm -hmm. And I see the argument both ways because it's like labels can be extremely useful when you're like, oh, other people think like me. Thank God it's not just me. (laughs) I felt that we we went to a DSA meeting and like I think both of us came out of that just like, oh wow, there's like 50 other communists here. Yes. (laughs) In fucking Dallas, Texas. I felt energized, dude. I was pumped. Absolutely. And like, you know, we are absolutely guilty of kind of shitting on those like slightly more not even centrist because they weren't that centrist no. i was surprised yeah. first off Re- quick review of dsa <laughs> not as centrist as you'd think yeah and maybe it depends on your chapter but <laughs> yeah yeah at least the, cool. the north texas chapter has it together shout out to y'all <laughs> but i i think it's it's very it's tempting to want to over label and it's tempting to want to throw out all labels and i think it, there's got to be something in the middle that says that like these are useful in terms of like discussing where you're coming from and setting that context like if i meet a leftist and i'm like hey like what's your flavor you know okay yeah <laughs> like it could be useful to be like okay i see where you're coming from here's my kind of deal it might be useful in that discussion level but i think i think we all agree on super common goals yeah so like i think those goals are more important and maybe that's an that's an intra party thing like what we do what we do with our friends you know and <laughs> Uh, who's already in the the house right but (laughs) when you're going out out, you don't have to go and (laughs) try to recruit people to your branch because that's confusing and they're like i don't know man right yeah (laughs) who was trotsky like you know yeah and like it's not relevant to most people yeah to bring it back to like the queer space analogy like i find it very helpful to like connect with someone like yeah i'm like you know to most normal people i meet i'm just like yeah i'm non-binary I don't go into a non-binary, but like technically I'm genderqueer and like, here's what that means to me. Like that's a lot to onboard somebody with. And like, I don't want to do that with every person. Yeah. But if I'm like in a queer space where like, I know people already have that basic vocabulary, it's much easier for me to open that conversation up and be like, yeah, let's rap about gender, bring it on. Yes. But like to the every person, like I'm not going to open it like that. That's a good point. It's useful within your spaces, I think. Just to, I think a healthy debate is nice, but you gotta be careful though, because you don't want to fucking fracture. You don't want to split. And that happens in the queer we do space that all too. The time. <laughs> are are is, are queer spaces as bad as communist spaces as oh, far as God. splitting? <laughs> Not like straight. <laughs> there's a lot. I mean, that's how you get things like um, like trans exclusionary radical feminists. Mm, that's the how turfs, you get bad. gold star lesbians who won't date people who have ever fucked a man or who are trans and don't have the quote unquote right parts. Like you get some nasty shit out of that. Mm. You get people who try to erase bi people. If you try to erase, um, asexual people, like you get a lot of policing in the queer community. Yeah. Okay. Stay off of Tumblr is what I'm saying. (laughs) Be very careful. I give it a wide berth. (laughs) (laughs) I like it, but it's, you gotta just be careful. This hashtags guys. All right. So do both is the lesson here is, in your own house. In your own house. When you're having some bevs with your friends. Hash it out. And mm-hmm. that's... Uh, it's healthy. I don't have anything better Don't say anything that. that will make you break up. <laughs> it's like a marriage. Like, you know, like... Okay, I don't know if you experienced this, but when I got married, I felt that 
it was easier to argue because I'm like, well, we're not going to break up over this. <laughs> you know, like you can kind of start shit yeah. when you reach a point in your relationship. And it doesn't have to be marriage, but like when you reach a point where you're like, yeah, you're the trusting. baseline is we're still together and we trust each other. We assume the best. Yeah. And now we can get to the really difficult conversations of like, yeah, you might not agree with me, but like, I'm not going to break up over it. I just want to know where you stand. Yeah. And there's a large degree of trust with that. And I'm the same way as like, if I trust someone, I will actually have out and out political debates with them. Mm -hmm. But if I'm more like, I don't know where you stand or whatever, I can be the most accommodating person in the world and really just like <laughs> listen to, oh yeah, tell me more about Totally. <laughs> you know, okay, I could see what you're saying. You know, like, but if I like intellectually respect someone more, I'm like, okay, but wait, hold on. Why you do you believe that? Like you shouldn't believe, you know, I, I can argue more. <laughs> I think that's the thing. I think it's like, you have to assume the best of a fellow leftist and be like, we're all going towards the same goal. We all know who the bad guys are. Yeah. We all know what we want. We just want it. And either like we get there different, differently. Like are you a syndicalist? Are you a right. anarchist or whatever? And for some people, the end goal is different, but I, I feel like maybe this is just my little perspective. I feel like a lot of us lean like anarcho-communists for like the end goal, you know? The end, end goal, end, yeah. End, 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 future humans goal. Yeah, that's that's anywhere from like orthodox communism. Like, I mean, that's, you end up, state was away, it's gone. You know, I mean, yeah. Marxism does that, Marxism does, I mean, like, whatever. That end goal is... We just can't agree no on the middle. <laughs> yeah. We know well, you, we know the bad guys. We know the stakes. We know the problems. We know all of that. We know the very, very end goal. We just don't know how to get there. Yeah. There's a sliver that's like socialism. We want to stay there. You know what I mean? Yeah. Whatever. Okay. It's fine. But <laughs> we just don't we'll take you that them. far along on the union train and then we'll yeah. <laughs> dump you off there You'll and move see. on. But uh, most, I think that if they step back and say... Try not to think about, does this mean I have to work with those dirty trots? Or does this mean that I have to work with those tankies or whoever exactly. you don't like? Right? Try not to freak out about the rules. Right. If you, you know? don't pay attention to that little part, then we are all actually We're trying to get same to the same team. place. You know? <laughs> oh. But that's, a, that's easier said than done. Because there was a dark history of us turning on each other. Purging. In, yeah. So yeah. that's. It's hard. Yeah. Well, you're just like, oh, guys, can't you just, but. <laughs> Let's just get over it. Yeah. Oh. No, you brought us back down. I was yeah. feeling hopeful for like two seconds. I was like, we're on the same side. Uh, yes, that's my superpower. Fuck you. <laughs> <laughs> I need more wine if we're going to do this. All right, which we will continue to do so. But I guess after we cut this off here. Um... <laughs> yeah, eventually we have to stop recording. <laughs> yeah, just um, if you're celebrating Thanksgiving today, you know, don't celebrate genocide too hard. <laughs> yeah, no, there's a totally fine way to do traditional Thanksgiving stuff. Just I eat mean, food. Eat yeah. food and be with your community. Yes, there are Thanksgiving festivals and harvest festivals all over the place. Great you know? point. Make it a Saturnalia so, deal. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> uh, I don't know. Is that, that one the be? Christmas one? Fuck. No, <laughs> I sound like a terrible you're, witch. You're the expert. I assume that was right because you said it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Uh but no, like, you don't have to be like, oh, the, the pilgrims were cool. Oh, okay. Sorry. Sorry, witches. I'm still learning. I'm, a, I'm an apprentice. I'm still working with the broomsticks like Mickey. Mm, well, you'll get there one day. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Happy Thanksgiving to anyone Those observing that. Yeah. I am thankful for our listeners. I am too. You guys are great. I, f I get a lot of 
positive reinforcement from reading y'all's oh, yeah. comments and things. So Total sweeties. Yeah. Even the critical ones. I like them. They're useful. I grow. All right. Uh, so what are we doing next week? Next week, I'm taking over. Get the fuck out of the way. All right. It's Christine's time. If, if I get in the way, you're going to roll over I'm me. I'm going to so. roll over <laughs> you. We're going to be learning about a man named William Morris. Okay. And his cool socialist ideas. All right. Well, I like cool socialized ideas, so <laughs> that sounds good. If you have an art history background, you may know him from his works as such as wallpapers and furniture mm. design. Okay. Um, he also did poetry and writing. So, like, dude had a lot of ideas. Wallpapers for the people. I can dig it. <laughs> yeah. It's like a riddle. Like, what does wallpapers have to do with yeah. socialism? We'll find out next week. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Sounds awesome. Uh, can't wait to get my notebook out and take notes and, and, and learn as you teach me that. Good, because there's going to be a fucking test. Good. You All will right. have to design your own socialist wallpaper. Hell yeah. I don't know. I can already picture it. Perfect. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, see you next time. All right. Later. Hey there, comrades. Just jumping in to remind you of all of our social media. We are on Twitter at Teach Communism, Instagram at Teach Me Communism. You can shoot us an email. That's teachmecommunism at gmail.com. Any of those places are good to send us an episode suggestion or a question, anything you think would be useful feedback for us or just your admiration. If you want to admire us in a public manner, and you should, you can go to Apple Podcasts to give us a review. It is the best way to help people find the show. Love when people write and review us. Please do both. We are also on YouTube if that's how you prefer to listen to podcasts. Or if you know someone that's the only way they'll listen to podcasts, send them to our page. And we have a Patreon. For five bucks a month, you get access to our notes for each week's episode, including the backlog of notes, which is a very handy resource for up-and-coming commies. And at the end of the year, all of the funds from Patreon will be given to local mutual aid in the DFW area. So, ain't going to line our pockets. Finally, we have merch. Check us out at Public. You can find shirts and I believe also stickers and magnets and all kinds of fun stuff with catchphrases from the show or episode art, stuff like that. The link to that store is in the show notes, so check that out. Okay, that's all the internet. Join us next time for another episode of Teach Me Communism, where the class struggle is always in session. Bye, y'all.